Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Good morning. It's great to see all of you here today. The Lord is present. Do you believe that? The Lord is present. He's promised to be present. He's present in us individually if we know Him, have a relationship with Him. And He's present with us together as well. And that makes this time a very special time. And so let's, let's really try to tune our hearts and minds into that. Father, we are so grateful for the promises of Your Word and that Your Son said that when we gather that He is present with us. That Your Spirit is here and at work, Father. I pray that we would very consciously, very purposely, Father, uh, turn our thoughts and our heart toward you. That you'd speak to us today the things we need to hear. And I pray, Father, that we would determine right now to say yes, to surrender to whatever you might speak to us here today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on January the 8th, 1902, and no, I wasn't present, okay? <laughs> there, was, there were two trains uh, that were heading down into New York City. Uh, one of them it, it, today would be called the New Haven Line, and the other one was the Harlem Line. And uh, the New Haven Line had pulled down into New York City and had gone into a tunnel right before Grand Central Station, and there was a signal telling it to stop and to wait. And so it stopped and waited. The Harlem train following behind uh, came into this tunnel, and this was in the day of steam engines. And the steam engines are pumping out. You've seen the, right, the, the pictures and all the steam coming out. And between the train that had just gone in and the train that was there, that steam and the darkness of the tunnel, the second train did not, did not see. So, All right, for those of you who are watching and those of you who are listening, somebody has a train whistle playing in here. All right. So, the darkness and the steam, and mostly because of the steam in the tunnel, there was an inability to see the signal, and the Harlem train ran dead into the back of the, uh, the New Haven train. End result, 17 people dead. Many, many more injured. And there was a huge uproar amongst the, the, the people there in New York City and, and even in the state. And, and what ended up being the result of this is that they began the process of outlawing, doing away with steam engines and replacing it with electric trains. And, and this was such a significant change that they actually had to, to do this while they kept the trains running. They actually had to build a new Grand Central Station. And so the Grand Central Station that's there now is not the one that was there then. They've, they've replaced it, a new, uh, new location. And, um, and so that's all because of the problem related to the steam engine. And so now they have the electric. And this was uh, the beginning of what we call the third rail. Have you heard of the third rail? Okay. I mean, you go down into Boston, you can see it in the subways. 
Uh, there's a third rail down there. What they, they have you know, two rails for the train to set on and, and to go. And then they have a, th a third rail, which is where it makes the connection and gets the electricity. And it's a lot of electricity, like 600 volts direct current, okay? And uh, it has to be a lot to, keep, to get those trains to, to roll and go. And but so that third rail, uh, by the way, it isn't something you'd want to touch because it would fry you instantly. Uh, if you're touching anything else, it would go to ground and, and that would be the end of you. But there's power in the third rail. And if that third rail wasn't there, if that power wasn't there, then the train's not going anywhere. And so this idea of the third rail, I think, will, will help us some. It, it, I think it help us to give us a picture of what we're going to talk about in the Word today. So we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, a very interesting book. Um, it was written to the whom? Hebrews. There you go. That's right. We've got a big hint right in the title. Um, but the Hebrews were the Jewish people. What we're talking about here, it was written to Jewish people in the Roman Empire who had come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the promised one. And so they had come to believe that and they had become Christians, followers of Christ. Now, once they made that decision and did it, they began to experience persecution at different levels. Okay, they, they received persecution from their fellow Jewish people who did not convert, right? And they thought they were out following the cult and a false messiah. So they're receiving pressure there, lots of social pressure. I mean, I, I don't know what it was like specifically then, but, but we know today, we hear of some very religious families, whether in Judaism or Islam or, or whatever, uh, when a family member walks away, they actually disown them, right? And, and so they're receiving that kind of pressure. Then in the culture itself, they were receiving pressure, the persecution that could come from just being harassed, but it could have a financial impact on, on your work and, and your trade. Uh, it could... Uh, bring you to physical harm, and in some instances, people even died from this persecution, people being killed. And so this is where they find themselves. And in the Roman Empire, there were some exceptions here and there along the way in history, but for the most part, the Jewish religion had been accepted as it's a religion, these people do their thing, okay? And so they were mostly left alone. But these Christians weren't. And so they have just made this transition from this comfortable religion that they had lived in and believed and, and, and you know, had all their relationships in and life worked into this new relationship with Christ. But man, has life got hard. It's got difficult from my friends and relatives all the way to the people who live in town around me. It's persecution. And so what they were doing, many of them, was backing away you know, they, they were identified with the Christians originally, but they thought, well, you know what? We can still believe in Jesus, and we'll just step back and go back into our synagogue. We'll still be Jewish, and we'll avoid all of that. And so these are the people that the author of Hebrews is writing to. And he's telling them, he's showing them how that Jesus is superior to all of that other stuff. How he is the fulfillment of the law. Not only did he live it all out, but he's also the fulfillment of all the symbols that were in the law. And that he's superior, and that they ought to not draw away, but need to stay engaged as believers. And that even if there's persecution, it's worth it. In Hebrews chapter 11, he talks about the faith and the people who suffered for following the Lord. 
And even it, right in the uh, uh, context of the passage we're going to look at right before, uh, it, it, it talks about this. It talks about how that the, the sacrifices in the Jewish system, which we see in the Old Testament, that the sacrifices of animals could not take away sins. The shed blood of animals could not take away sins. It provided us a covering for another year, uh, a way of demonstrating some you know, repentance toward God, and uh, pointed them toward this sacrifice that God was going to bring one day, which was Jesus. And it says how that Jesus came, and he is so far superior because his shed blood actually takes away the sins and the penalty. And that he is the complete and final fulfillment of all that the law had portrayed. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. We encourage you to follow along. If you have a Bible with you, if you don't, um, we encourage you, there should be one under the chairs there in front of you. And we're going to be on pages 1380 and 1381 today. Start in verse number 19. He says, therefore, brethren. So this therefore, because of all this stuff that he's already written and talked about, and specifically what he just wrote about Jesus being the, the fulfillment and the one who actually takes away our sins. He says, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Now, as you read Hebrews, you get very much of all these things that they talk about that you and I might go, what? But it's because it was part of the whole Jewish religion, the Old Testament religious system. And so that's what he's talking about. So let's go back and, and, and read this again and talk about it. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Okay, the holiest. What's he talking about? Well, in the tabernacle and then in the temple, there were, you know, you, you go into the temple just in the very beginning and, and pretty much anybody could walk in there if you were a Jewish person and, and you know, you could do things. They had places to wash and, and you worked your way in. And, and you would go to your offering, there was an altar, and the priest would take that and, and, and handle the, the offering or the sacrifice. They would do that. But there was a place in the temple, the farthest end, called the Holy of Holies. Or as it says it here, the holiest place. And inside of that was the Ark of the Covenant, which goes way back to the time of Moses. And what it symbolized for them was the very presence of God, the holy, 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 as we sang, presence of God. And nobody goes in there except the high priest once a year. And they would, do, they would sacrifice the animal, and once a year the high priest would go in to there and offer the shed blood of this sacrifice. And... and I just told you, we didn't read it, but that the, the blood of animals can't take away our sins. So this is a picture of something. It's a symbol of something. And what it's a picture of is Jesus Christ dying on the cross, the Son of God, and, and entering, when he goes to heaven, he, he brings, I don't think literally, but offers his blood as the final payment for all sins in the very holy presence of God. 
And do you remember what happened in the story? As we read the story of when Christ was uh, crucified and he's hanging on the cross and then the, the sky gets dark at some point and then there's a great earthquake as he has died. And, and it tells us that the veil, that was this huge curtain that was, uh, you know, kept people out of the Holy of Holies. That was the dividing line, a huge curtain. They said only once a year did anybody go in there. And it says that it ripped from the top to the bottom. Picturing to us that the way into the holy presence of God has now been opened. And since it's torn from the top, not from the bottom, it's been opened by God himself. All right? Through Jesus. And so that's what he's talking about here. He's not talking about the physical the physical uh, veil there. We're going to see the veil here. But let's look again. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, uh, you would not dare go into the holiest place in the temple as a Jewish person. That would be, you're going to die. Okay, seriously. But now we can go in. And we don't have to go in tentatively. How can we go in? What's it say? Boldly. What an amazing thing, you know. So you know, um, so I, as I, you know, I, I was born a sinner. And I lived like a sinner. April 4th, 1975, I received Christ as Savior. And he forgave every sin forever. Cleaned me up. Name of holy. Yeah, and I'm still, I'm still recovering, right? We all are. Recovering sinner. I am that. But if I think about my sin and focus on my sin and I think about coming to God and I don't know if you find yourself there. When you sin or if you find yourself thinking about sins that you've committed and how you've lived your life and the mistakes that you've made, the wrong things, and, and, and you come to God like this. I don't know if I should come. That's not right. We're missing the point. I've sinned. Oh God, here I am. And your son, right? I mean, I can come boldly in the presence of God, being born a sinner, living like a sinner, still recovering. And every sin is gone. I can come into his presence, what? Boldly. So see, Satan's, our own programming, our own sinful flesh programming that we're working our way out of, and then Satan's efforts in the world and the things he tries to get us to see and think is this, that when you have sinned, and maybe it's that word, you have sinned again, right? And you're beating yourself up, I've sinned again. And, and let me tell you, in my own life, what finally hit me, and I understood this, I find myself feeling so low. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about, anybody here? So low. And then I remember this. This is why Jesus came. And I can get up and boldly in the presence of God. Because who wants me to stay defeated? God or Satan? Satan. Who wants me to believe there's no hope? God or Satan? Satan? I mean, you see what I'm saying? I need to believe what God says about it. And does, is, it is it sin a bad thing? Terrible thing. Not good. Never right. Never helpful. So we're not, we're not making less of sin. But what we are doing is talking about what has God done that's greater 
than my sin. All right. So this is what has happened. Jesus going and dying for us has opened that way up to us. And he's, verse 20 says, by a new and living way. The old way was this curtain and, and the blood of animals, all that, but not anymore, a new and living way which he consecrated, which he set apart just for us through the veil. That was what they called that veil in the temple. He says that is his flesh. In other words, how do we get into the holiest place now? Not by going through the curtain, but by going through Jesus. Uh, the Christmas carol we sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, says one of the lines, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, God in flesh. And so it's through Jesus that we get into the uh, presence of God, the Father. And then verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God. Now, if, if you're from a, a Roman Catholic background or an Orthodox background of some kind, uh, maybe an Episcopal, the idea of a priest, you're used to hearing that. Uh, but those of us who aren't from that background, what's the deal of the high priest? Well, they used to have to, all the sins and everything had to go through this human high priest. No more. Now goes only directly to God through Jesus. For there is one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ, okay? All right, and so uh, he is overall, so we have direct access to God, and he's over the house of God. He's over all of us. Now, because of that, he says, therefore, Therefore, because of these things, then he's in, in verses 22 through 25, he's going to tell us, here's what you need to do. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assuming of ourselves together is, is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more, the more as you see the day approaching. And there, when he says as the manner of some is, he's talking about what we talked about the context of Hebrews, right? There were people who were pulling back and who weren't who are no longer gathering with the church. All right, so what we see here are three action steps, three things that he's telling us to do. Because of all that he's done in our lives, three things. And the first one is this, wholeheartedly pursue your relationship with God. And we're going to go back and look at the verses and talk about this, okay? But first thing, wholeheartedly. Because of what he's done and what he's opened up and the reality and the truths that are there, wholeheartedly pursue your relationship with God. And the second one is live with your soul anchored in the hope you have in Christ. How you live, okay? And then the third one is to actively engage with your fellow believers in the church for mutual growth and encouragement in living like Christians. Very, very important, these things. It's kind of almost a this is where he's brought his readers all the way through Hebrews. So let's go back and, and look at this. Verse 22. Because he's opened it up, right? Because he's there, and we have direct access. Let us draw near. Okay, let us draw near to God. Uh, go ahead and go to that, uh, the, first, the next one there, Stephen. Uh, let us draw near to God. And this is the idea of wholeheartedly 
pursuing your relationship with God. He says, with a true heart. And a true heart means a sincere heart, one that matches uh, the truth out here, the truth that exists, and then our hearts aligning with that. Then he says, in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. Again, that is, that is what I talked about. Our, do we go to God like, like this and cower? In full assurance of faith we do what we draw near. Lord, I'm here because you saved me. I'm here because you've forgiven me. I'm here because I need you. But I'm drawing near with full assurance of faith. Now, the next uh, two phrases here I think are a little bit difficult for us to understand sometimes. He says, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Well, what's he talking about? Well, when the priest offered certain sacrifices in the, the, the Old Testament religious system, they would sprinkle the blood. Okay, to cover it. And so he's referring, who's he writing to? People who know that stuff and think that way. So he's talking about this cleansing that comes from the blood. And then he talks about the, uh, how do you say, our bodies washed with pure water. What's he talking about there? That there were cleansings. They had washings they had to do. When we were in, in Jerusalem this past year, we saw the places where they would come as they came to the temple and wash up. And, and uh, all symbolic of things. But I, I really believe that idea of the washing of our bodies with this pure water uh, is probably the Holy Spirit. Because in John chapter 7, Jesus says, if you believe out of your body, your very body will flow the Holy Spirit. And, and um, I really think what he's talking about to us here. He's saying, let me go, on, go back, draw near with this full assurance. Why? And what he's saying is we've been saved. That's why. And here's how I, I, one of the reasons I think that. Let me, I'm going to give you guys a lesson in New Testament Greek today. Okay? I didn't put that on Facebook ahead of time because I didn't want anybody to say, I ain't going. Okay? All right. In the Greek language, and this is, I, I do this because that's the language that the Lord, when he led these people to write, that's the language they wrote in. And so sometimes we gain some insights into what the word means when we, we look at it, okay? And, uh, it, and they talk about tense in the Greek language. And we think tense is past, present, and future, right? Well, that's a part of it. But the Greek language conveys more than that with its tenses. And, and more importantly, the, it conveys these things. So let's, let's look. Types of actions, what it portrays. There are tenses that portray a point in time action. Something happened in the past, okay? It happened. All right, that's point in time action. Then it also talks about ongoing action. This is happening, okay? He ran the race. That happened, done, point in time. He is running the race. Okay, that's the present tense. Now, they have another tense, uh, they have a future tense, but this is an interesting tense, it's called the perfect tense. And the perfect tense combines the point in time and the ongoing. And so the idea is this happened and the results of this, what this has accomplished is ongoing. And probably one of the most well-known uses of the perfect is when Jesus was hanging on the cross. And when he gets down to the end, he says, it is finished. Perfect tense. 
that has been paid, and from now on, it's paid. Okay? Well, in this verse, when it talks about your heart sprinkled and washed, that's the perfect tense. So when he says you can draw near because of this, he's talking about because this happened in the past and you are still saved today. See, this is what God did when he saved you. And it's still true today. So draw near. Come in boldly. All right. So what does this look like to wholeheartedly pursue your relationship with God? What does it look like? I really think that this is probably pretty individual when we get into the details of what it looks like. But to pursue a relationship with God, right now, right now this morning, you may have already known this, but whether you already knew it or you just learned it today, how do we know that we have, that we can walk boldly into the presence of God even though we've sinned? How do we know that? It's not a trick. I know I ask trick questions. This isn't one of them. How do we know it? Yeah, well, yes, but it's what? Didn't we just read it? It's in the Word. And, and so as we pursue our relationship with God, it's, it needs to include the Word of God. That's how we're going to be able to think right about things. That's how we're going to be able to understand. That's how I know I can come boldly. Right? And that's how you learned it. I can come boldly. And so it has to include the Word of God. And the Word of God is such an amazing thing. God has put it together so perfectly as I read and study it. And then I'm just, it's just amazing. But one of the things about the Word is that it's not just words. It's God himself communicating to us. Communicating to us by writing about this situation and that situation. As, we, under, as we, we think about these and understand these things, the Bible says that the Word of God is alive and it's very powerful and it makes distinctions that we would never make on our own. And big, it says, it reveals the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. Oh God, I want my relationship to be good with you. I want it to be what you want it to be. I want it to be satisfying to me. I want to experience the, the, as you change me in our relationship. Okay. Get in the word. Because it will reveal to you the very thoughts and intents of your heart that you might not ever see otherwise. God speaks through his word. He will speak to you through his word. Now, when someone talks to you do you usually respond? Unless you're all upset with them or something. Don't you usually, when, when somebody talks to you, you talk with them? Okay, that needs to be included too. I'm pursuing this relationship with God. And I'm reading, I'm hearing what I'm saying. And, and I have feelings going on inside because of it. I'm thinking about my life. And so talk with God about those things. I mean, I think we have an idea about prayer, and some of us because of the religious background we came from, and others it's just we've picked it up along the way, that somehow the prayer is this, this thing I have to do. But in reality, I, I would say what God is looking for in this is that, that we would listen to him, and that we would respond, and we would talk. Right? 
And when we're overwhelmed with life, God, I, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I need your help. I, I need your strength. I, I'm lost here without you. Apart from you, I can do nothing, Scripture says. And so it, it has to include prayer. But I, I just know when I use that word prayer that some of you think, oh, yeah, I, I list and I got to do this. Let it go. If while, you're, if while you're having a conversation with God, you get a sense, oh, I need to write this down. I need to remember this. Or I, 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 God wants me to make a list of these things. Fine, do it. P- pursue your relationship with God. And don't let... Am I, am I making any sense here? I am? Okay. Then I'll just stop before I don't. <laughs> All right? So it's include, for certainly the, the uh, reading of his word, it's going to include prayer. Uh, it's going to include uh, meditation on his word, thinking about it. Process. It's going to include trying to live by it and then having a conversation with God about that. And so pursue your relationship with God. I, one of the things that God is burdening me about in my own life is that I would become much, much more aware of his moment-by-moment presence with me as I walk through life, as I have a conversation, as I put gas in the car, as I, whatever, that this isn't something I'm doing anymore. This is something that we're doing. That changed your life. You see, so we want to pursue our relationship with God and, and whatever he's leading us in and, and your different places in life, it's going to look different for us, but we need to do it. Whatever it means in your life, do it. Wholeheartedly pursue your relationship with God. Verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, so that, that second point, uh, go ahead and go to that if you would, Stephen. Live with your soul anchored in the hope you have in Christ. Now, that's what he's saying here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Without wavering. So we're pursuing our relationship with God. And we're growing in that. And we're starting to to believe this stuff. (laughs) And by the way, there's a difference between believing stuff and believing stuff. You're moving from this realm of, of knowing something into actually believing it. And he says this confession of our hope. A confession is saying, what do I believe? Well, here's what I believe. That's a confession. It's, it's agreeing here with what God has to say about these things. And so as I live my life, I need to anchor it in this, these truths of, of what God has done for me, what my relationship with Christ is like, what he said he's going to do, how he's going to do it. I need to, to believe that and anchor my soul in it. And I chose to say anchor my soul because earlier in Hebrews, in chapter 6, he says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. So when we really start believing what God has said, and then let's anchor our soul. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, it, 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 uh, it is talking about growing as a Christian, and it says this. It says that we need to, to grow in our relationship with Christ so that we are no longer tossed back and forth by every new wind of doctrine that comes, every new teaching, every... Now, we want to be anchored in the truth. And so what this means is when I go through my day, and let me just back up and tell you... Uh, 
Thank you to, again for everybody who prayed for my father's situation. He's there. It'll be a week tomorrow. And they've only called me once about what's going on. But I admit that I have found myself anxious there. And what's going on? I'll find myself in a situation and I'm becoming anxious. And I'm not a real anxious guy, but so for a little anxiety for me is a bunch. All right? And I'm feeling anxious and all that. And, and my wife is so, she's so gracious and she reminds me, hey, you can trust God with this. Yeah, I can. Yeah. Yeah, but I need to worry about it. Don't you understand? Anybody in here ever been like that? I know that, I know that, but I gotta worry. But hitting me, no wait. And it finally hit me the day um, on Thursday. I was going down there. I got a call about some issues. I was heading there anyway, and she said something to me, and, and I, I said she's right. And the peace of God came over me. I still didn't know what I was going to do or how we were going to deal with it, but didn't I just? It was different. Because what I had done is instead of having this anxiety and pull here and think this and worry about that, is wait, wait, we're gonna, I'm going to anchor myself here in the sense of what God has said is true. That he was at work. And he would enable me to do whatever I needed to do. He'd give me the wisdom I need to respond. He's going to, all those things, these problems. And so I'm going to anchor my soul. So when you have financial problems and all of a sudden, wow, what in the world are we going to do? Well, the Lord says if you follow him, he's going to work that out, Right? They're not the way you think, but he's going to work it out. Anchor your soul there. You have in my relationship. It's, it's falling apart with my, in my marriage or this, my parents, whatever it is. But you know what? Hey, anchor your soul here. This is what God has said. You see what I'm saying? And that's the way we need to live. Anchor your soul so that you aren't back and forth and... and And, and Dave, I think I could say that most people who come to us for counseling, at the moment they're coming for us counseling, they have not, their soul is not anchored. It's out of control, right? And that's, that's, that's normal, that's natural, but we need to, wait a minute, anchor my soul here in this hope and this truth that I have in Christ. Uh, all right, let's continue. He says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as, the manner, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, let's, let's look at a couple words here. First, let us consider one another. Uh, in the Greek language, this means to observe fully. In other words, this isn't uh, with your brothers and sisters in Christ just saying, oh, Hi. It's saying that, that in our church relationship, and you, you can't, with this many people, you can't do with everybody. But nonetheless, you need to have a relationship with the church family. And when you look at this person, you observe fully. In other words, you're looking at this person to see where they're at. How are they doing? What's going on in their lives? Because I care. So I observe you fully. And then it's the idea, this word in English, no, let's go back. That in English, it's the idea of giving thought to something in order to make a good decision. And so the I, you know, you guys, I don't know what you think about, you know, your pastor coming around talking to you on Sundays and stuff. And, 
and I'm trying to observe you fully in a short amount of time. I'm trying to see where you're at. Um, but why am I doing that? For me, as I'm doing it, it's because I care and I want to be helpful. I want to be encouraging. What do I need to say to you today? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe what I need to do is say, just listen to you today. Maybe I need to say, can we pray about this right now? And we do. I, I don't know, but it's, it's observing. It's, it's a very purposeful observation because we're trying to consider, how do, what do I do for you here? And would you do that for me too? Would you? And for each other? All right? So consider, what is it we're trying to decide? The next thing it says that we might do what? Stir up. Love and good works. I go down into that if you would, Stephen. Now, stir up means to cause someone to feel a strong emotion and a desire to do something. In a figurative sense, it's like poking somebody. This is not uh, just a, a word that says, um, oh, hey, yeah, and we just go for the flow with the flow and we never say anything. This idea is to say, with each other and our relationship in the body of Christ, there are times and places where we need to poke each other. Because, and the, the old King James uses the word provoke. <laughs> to get a response. That, wait, no, I'm serious. You, I really think you need to think about this. I really do. Or, or listen, no, let me help you. Let, let me get a group of people and let's come over. We'll help you with that. And so it, it's, it's purposeful and in verse 25, he says, "Is the manner of some is but exhorting one of us. This is all to be encouraging, okay? It's not, some of us probably have a personality that loves to go around and poke people. <laughs> We're not talking about that. We're talking about the Holy Spirit working in us and through us and helping us to know. And so this brings us to this third thing, to actively engage with fellow believers in the church for mutual growth and encouragement in living like Christians. And I say the church because in verse 25, it says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Do you know what the, the Greek word that uh, is translated church most of the time, what it means? It means the assembly. It's when we as God's people assemble together to do what God has told us to do as the assembly. And he says, not forsaking the assembly. See, so he's talking about your church relationships here. So we need to actively engage with our fellow believers. Here's the deal. You know, we need to help each other live like Christians. And some of you don't believe that. Or some of you know it, but you haven't believed it yet because you aren't acting on it. We need each other. We need to help each other. Uh, and so... Forget I'm the pastor, but you need me to help you as your brother in Christ. And I need you to help me as, as my brother or sister in Christ. We need that. Now, let me let you in on a little secret. I find that when I help you, I help me too. It is amazing. I was just talking with someone recently, a couple who's just going through some really hard issues in marriage and they're trying to figure it out and I'm in the middle of the Lord uh, saying Lord help me try to figure this and we're working through it I go home I 
thinking, I got to do a better job of this. <laughs> I have learned. I have benefited. Uh, and here's the deal. So then when you help me, you also help you. You get that? And none of this happens by accident. It can happen when you aren't expecting it. But it's not by accident. You have to be willing to engage and willing to be engaged in doing this. So we need to help each other and and we need to help each other by encouraging each other, by provoking each other sometimes, caring, serving, all the things in the Bible that it says for Christians to do for one another, genuinely loving one another, praying for one another. Uh, on and on that list could go. And I, let me give you an example. I, this is what I'm experiencing. So we come on Sunday morning, and for what it's worth to you, I don't know, but when I see you here, and I, maybe we make eye contact, even if it's just across the room or whatever. I am encouraged that you came. It encourages me that, that you're, you're acting on something. You're, you're saying, I need to do this. I'm encouraged by that. Uh, I am also very purposely involved. In, and I know I said, well, you're the pastor. You've got to be. Well, okay, life groups. I am in two life groups now. <laughs> And I got the most amazing life groups, and it makes a world of difference in my life. I am in, I am old enough to be in the seniors' life group, the senior adults' life group. And I brought Glenda along, even though she's not old enough. <laughs> that group is just amazing. They're a bunch of live wires. You, you get them together, and they all said, well, I can't talk, I can't talk. I'm not going to talk in front of anybody. In good ways, good ways. We talk about meaningful things, things that are so encouraging to me, so helpful to me, and I think sometimes I help them. But it's, it's on purpose. And then our, our Thursday night life group, we've been in this group with some of these people for three years now, and we get together and it's like, hey, I'm home. I feel safe here. And, and I know that I could call these people, you know, class on Wednesday night, we sat in here with, uh, with a number of men and, and just talking about life and what God's expectations for us are. And I leave encouraged. The Bible study time we have here, we've only done it one week, but I'm encouraged by that time with you. And, and so here's the deal. This cannot happen if we are not meeting. Right? And here's the deal. Right now, for whatever reason, in our culture, the average churchgoer who, who would say I'm a churchgoer and I have a church that I'm connected to, the average churchgoer attends three times out of every eight weeks. One and a half times a month. And we can't do this if we aren't getting together. And so I encourage you to get together. Get together here on Sunday mornings. And if, if by Sunday mornings you think, okay, come. I, like I always used to do with other church, I come and I go to church. I sit there and I go through the motion. I do the thing. Okay, I went to church. Don't do that. Okay? No, come on purpose. Say, okay, God, I'm here today. What do you want to do? What do you want to do in me? 
you want to do something through me, that scares me. I don't know, but I'm willing. Right? Come and be a part. Get involved someplace on purpose. Um, all right, I'm, I'm not going to belabor that, but understand when, and those of you who are watching, and some of you may be uh, the very people I'm talking about being connected, but you aren't here. Uh, and for all of us, let me, let me make a bold statement to you, a true statement. If your church is gathering, you ought to be here unless the Lord has you doing something else. Right if the Lord says, you're sick, you need to stay home and get well. Stay home and get well. You know what? Your, your, your mother who lives it, you need to go do something. She needs you this weekend. Go do it. Lord knows I need a vacation. Take the vacation. But what I'm saying to you is that I would challenge you to look at your life such that when your church is gathering, whether it's a Sunday morning or something else that's designed for you, if I'm not there, it's, it, I, the only reason I'm not there is because God has me doing something else. And I know you can twist that away, but don't. I'm just, you hear me? You hear my heart? Make your church that important in your life because God says we need it. So I'm out of, way out of time here. So just let me go through this quickly. Say, look, church is God's idea. It isn't Walt. Oh, Walt's trying to get something for himself by getting us to come. No. I would say to you that if you, you, know, if you need to go to a different church to do this, do it. Okay? You need to do this. Um, so church is God's idea. Church is God's plan. This is how we're going to do it. Church is God's blessing, too. When, when you get it right, when you take it seriously, you begin to experience the blessing of the church. And I think I can say this as honestly as can be. Let me ask you, is there a time you don't feel like coming? Whether it's on Sunday morning or to some other group you're part of, you do, right? You feel like that? I feel that way sometimes too. Now, I'm the pastor, I gotta go anyway, right? But I would say to you that there's never been a time when I have not felt like doing it that I have gone, that I didn't end up glad I had gone. Amen. That doesn't mean it was bells and whistles or fireworks. But I walk away with a sense of, thank you, Lord. Um, all right, so um, let's go to that next list, Stephen. I want to kind of close it out here. So this wholeheartedly pursue your relationship with God, live with your soul, anchored in the hope you have in Christ, active and engaged with your fellow believers in the church for mutual growth and encouragement and living like Christians. There's a logical order there, isn't there? Pursue your relationship with God, anchor your soul and live this, and then engage with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But I'm going to say to you, there is a, it is also logical to go backwards on that. You need to engage with your brothers and sisters in Christ because that is going to help you to anchor your soul. And as you anchor your soul, it's only going to make sense to draw near to God. And so when I don't do this, when I don't let the church have the role in my life that God intends for it to have, yeah, it, it, 
weakens me. It weakens me and it's, it's harder to anchor my soul. And, and as, as I, I get unanchored and I'm, I don't have this encouragement and this strengthening here and, and now I'm not anchored and I'm, I'm not doing so well here, pursuing God gets lost in the shuffle. So this really, really matters. And please, let me just say this. Please. I don't want anybody to show up here on a Sunday or at something because you say, oh no, Walt will think I'm not. I'm not making that judgment. It's between you and God. And that's what I'm challenging you about today. Pursue your church relationship. Go to God and say, God, how do you want me to pursue this church relationship? What do you really want me to do? I'm pretty comfortable doing it. What do you really want me to do, God? I'll do that. If you do that, we're all golden. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you tell us the truth about it, about the things in our lives. Thank you that you've opened up this free and bold way that we can come into your presence through your son. And Lord, I pray we would draw near to you. We would pursue our relationship with you, that we would be able to anchor our, our lives in the truths of your word. And, and Lord, I pray that we would really see and value our relationships with your church and that we would just begin pursuing it and trust you to lead us and to work out the details for us. Thank you for the church, Lord, and all that it is for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. Thank you for hanging in there a little longer today. Uh, we will start our Bible study time in here in about, uh, about 1130. So we'll see you then, hopefully.